Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Michael Finney. Today I am joined by Brett Kane. Would you like to say hello, sir? Hello. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for joining us. You know, we always like to talk with writers. Tell us a little bit about you, who you are, what you do, what we should know in terms of your biographical information. You know, that's always the hardest question uh, to to answer uh, on the spot. But it's funny because it it seems that it's human nature for for people to be comfortable talking about themselves until they're asked to. Um, <laughs> but uh, the most important thing to to know about me is that I I really do love everyone. That's that's what uh, I'm well known for. Uh, I'm a husband, I'm a father, uh, I'm a writer. I've, I've had such a wide variety of, uh, professional and extracurricular, um, activities and, and career paths. Um, but really I just, I like to tell stories and I never thought that I would, would be a, a writer when I was a kid. I loved to draw and I wanted to be an illustrator and then I spent uh, probably my entire high school career was just me watching the behind the scenes of the extended editions of the Lord of the Rings uh, movie trilogy by Peter Jackson. Of course. And, <laughs> and I was just enamored with that. And I'd make home movies and I wanted to be a director and I... Uh, thought I'd go to film school and all that. And then uh, after I graduated high school and, and uh, I served as a missionary for two years and, and came home and I was like, you know what? Film school probably isn't for me because uh, it, it wasn't as cut and dry as I thought it would be. Um, and then I just decided to start telling stories and, and I, I thought, you know, how hard can it be to write? I, I, I've, I've read a couple books. It, it doesn't seem like it'd be hard to do. And good place to start. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's brought me here and it, it's, it's really uh, eye opening because it's, you know, it's certainly not easy. It's, I think writing is pretty simple. Um, but there's so much of myself that I put into my writing and I can I can see at points when I'm, I'm writing fiction, uh, if it's also paralleling what I'm journaling or what's going on or what I'm thinking about that day, and and I, I think that that's a good thing. And and I, I like to to cook as well, um, but you know, no matter how much work and and love and preparation uh, goes into a meal. It's it's gone within you know a night or, or the next day if there's leftovers. But uh, what what we write is potentially forever. Absolutely, uh, I have found over the last year or so a great overlap between writing and cooking. People that like the two of those things, uh, you know, not to not to go too far down a tangent on that, but what about a cookbook? Maybe you got enough recipes to throw something together. You know, that's actually, you know, I never ever thought about that, that parallel until you said that. Um, yeah, I could, I could see myself doing a cookbook. I, I really like 
cookbooks. It seems like with the the internet and and YouTube and and things like that, uh, cookbooks are are kind of anachronistic. Um, but but I love a good cookbook if it's produced right, you know, and and um, they can be really aesthetically pleasing. But yeah, I've I've got a ton of recipes, and and my wife's an even better cook than me, so. Yeah, I could see a a Kane family cookbook in the future. I never thought about that. Thank you. I'll have to give all credit to you. Well, you don't have to because it won't be (laughs) my group of recipes. But at the same time, yeah, it's something that comes up pretty often when I have writers on. And in fact, I had uh, a couple, they're married, and they had put out a cookbook last year. Uh, The wife is a nutritionist and the husband is an architect. But they share this love of cooking and then got into gardening, which I also like to do. Uh, Yeah, so food, being able to follow a program, yeah, and and as a script in a way, you know, they do a little bit of filming of of their, their meals and also photography of it, stuff like that. So yeah, there's a lot of overlap between the, the processes and maybe in a, uh, you know, architectural term. Yeah. I, I never considered that, but now it, it seems so obvious. Um, yesterday, my, my coworker asked me, uh, if I was creative and I was, and I was kind of taken aback by that. I'm like, you know me very well, you know, I like to draw and, and write and, uh, and and I did a lot of theater in in high school and college, and I and so I was like, yeah, I'm creative. And and then she kind of realized that it was kind of a an obvious question. But the reason she asked me is, uh, I have a photographic memory as well, and and she was wondering like what that is like because to her, having a memory like that seemed far more on the uh, left brain than, than right brain and and that that was kind of melded and it was funny because we, we were trying to remember a name of a client that we had met months and months ago and I remembered the husband's name and their last name and their son's name and I couldn't remember the wife's name and it took me a little while and I was thinking and then I came up with him and said oh yeah that that's her name and my coworker was like wow you had to go through like your own library and just imagining what that's like in being in the mind. And I think it's similar to, you know, uh, any creative person where it comes to gardening or cooking, you know, you, you have this idea and the cool thing about writing and, and cooking and, and every creative pursuit is it's so unique. And, and even if you follow a recipe to a T, there could be some different variations, you know, and what kind of, uh, you know, if it's an electric or gas stove, if, you know, what altitude you're at, you know, if you didn't Absolutely. have this particular ingredient, right. Um, yeah. I, I, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent, no, but no, yeah, this is it's great. This is great stuff. Cause I see the, the analogy between what you're saying and what, you know, musicians would call improvisation, or even perhaps if you're on stage acting, you might take a little bit of, uh, a divergence into that way and kind of mix things up or even just the timing of how you would perform a line or a solo or anything like that. Those things are all, they all have these, um, lines to each other. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's, it's funny too, cause I was just thinking, you know, we, we talk, we use the term like creative license and 
I was just imagining what that would look like. You know, everyone jokes about the the Department of Motor Vehicles. You know, the DMV. And I was like, what what would the um, you know creative uh, DMV look like? And people standing in line and getting their picture taken to to get a license to take some creative liberty. Um, go faster. <laughs> Um, I actually had a, a question for you. Okay. Um, I, I saw your, your video episode of how I remember you and that was really cool. What was that, uh, produced with AI that, that video or, or how did you make that? Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. The workflow on that was I had written a short story about two years ago that was, I mean, incredibly short, maybe 150 words or something. And I entered this contest for an AI short film, uh, a, a competition, right? And I was looking around. I had started working on another project using that, the a short documentary uh, about the Chicago 1893 World's Fair, the Columbian Exposition. But their rules were that you needed to have a couple other things. So then I said, okay, well, I need to have this fallback plan. So I started generating the images for that using stable diffusion, if you're familiar, and then put those through a program called Pika, which is a uh, motion generating artificial intelligence program and then kind of stitch oh. those things together and uh, do all of the, I, you know, I did the score, I write the music for that and then uh, do all the sound effects and stuff. I mean, I don't produce all the sound effects. Some I do, but a lot of them are available. So I kind of use that kind of stuff uh, to build out the soundscape and create the experience. I appreciate you watching it though. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the, and the music was great too. So that's, that's cool to, to know that you did that. Yeah. Spent a lot of time with music, um, performing and writing, uh, pretty heavily for like 15 years, I would say. So, I uh, don't do a lot of that anymore, but, uh, the skill is still there. So when I need it, I can kind of jump back into it. And that was the first time I had more legitimately scored something as opposed to, uh, writing the music, um, and then just kind of situating it in. So I'm, I want to do more of that. I, I don't know if I'll do more animated shorts. Maybe we'll see, but, um, I do have this project that's about national parks. So for that series of videos that will come out with volume three, I want to try and more traditionally score those, which was interesting to me. And I'm compelled to keep kind of going down that road. Are you a musician in any capacity? Oh my goodness. I, I wish, you know, I can, I can pluck out a, a little tune on the guitar. My, my mom is an incredible guitarist and my wife is really accomplished on the piano and, and my daughter, she's eight and she's never had any formal lessons, but she, she just has such an ear for, for music, for piano. She just started, you know, uh, viola lessons, but on the piano, she can hear a song and then she can figure it out on the piano. But me, I, I, I feel like I missed that train. When I was in like fourth or fifth grade, we had a music expo at my elementary school and I'd, I loved the violin. I loved, loved, loved the violin. And I picked up a violin and, and tried it. And this, uh, you know, the, the music director snatched it out of my hands and told me never to touch another instrument again. Brutal. And that, 
<laughs> it was it was horrible, and you know, I, I, I unfortunately I, I let that inhibit me. You know, I can play guitar a little bit, but you know, and I I, I don't think you're ever too old, so I I would like to um, to learn uh, some more. But no, I'm I'm not much of a musician. So for me, that's kind of where writing started as a songwriter, creating lyrics for material with bands that I was in, or even kind of rewriting lyrics for cover songs that I was playing to make them more personable for me, make them more personal for me. Uh, where did your writing start? Oh, man, that's a good question. You know, I still have these little... Uh, storybooks that uh, I wrote when I was you know, in second grade and we would write and then illustrate these books. And then our teacher would bind them and, you know, type out what we had had scrawled. And I loved to draw. My mom saved all of these. And I, I this is like 1996. And I was illustrating like Godzilla versus King Kong or, like uh, these um, uh, basketball playing dinosaurs and, and just things like that. And, and so I always like to write and, and I still have some of my notebooks from sixth grade because we would have to keep a, a journal in sixth grade. We, uh, school would, would have us journal for uh, a period. Of, um, that was one of our, our classes was just journaling. And I, I kept that and I said, okay, you know, I, I want to start telling these stories and I had always loved to read and, and my parents read to me from a young age and I just kept writing and uh, took creative writing in, in high school and college. And, but I, I never, it was mostly poetry or short stories. And then uh, I decided to try my hand at novel writing uh, just shortly before I got married and I had an idea for a novel and my, my friend, who, who is uh, an accomplished writer as well, he told me, he's like, hey, I'm going to give you six months to make some headway on this or else I'm stealing your idea. <laughs> I said, okay, I, I better get cranking. And um, I was really fortunate. I, I know a lot of great writers out there don't get uh, picked up by a traditional publisher. And certainly the stigma of... of uh, independent or self-publishing is, is completely gone now. I mean, in, in fact, I think it's a, a lot of times the better writers out there are completely independent, just the way some of the, the big publishing houses are going. But um, back in you know, uh, 2016, um, when I first made contact with who, who was my publisher for my first two books, they, they accepted it right away. And, um, and, and that doesn't really happen for most people on the first try. So that was really fortunate uh, for me. And, and then I just, I knew I want to write the kind of stories that I would like to read. And it's kind of a synthesis of um, all the stories that, that I've read and, and still read. So that's, that's what brought me here. That's fantastic. I want to ask two questions about your writing. Uh, first one is about the craft, you know, how do you work through a story or work through a manuscript in general? What's that process like? I, I love that question. And, and for me, it's, it's kind of unstructured. You know, I, I know a lot of 
people will recommend uh, you know, an organized or, or more formulaic approach. And I, I think that's, that's really useful for some people. Uh, but for me, I kind of just imagine that a train is coming and I have all the tracks in my hands and I have to lay the tracks. And wherever they end up going, so be it as long as you know that the train doesn't derail. And as soon as I get the story out of my head and onto the page, then I can rearrange it. It's almost like a jigsaw puzzle. But I I don't spend a lot of time thinking about you know, these the different structure pieces uh, in my mind. I'll play out certain scenes and kind of think, oh, I like that. But I, I have to do a combination of uh, handwriting. So I'll write in a notebook some scenes and then you know, typing it. And and I actually really love that approach because I think writing things out by hand, you really get a, a sense of you know effort and results. And you can see the immediate fruits of your labor. On a word processor, it's so easy to get discouraged when you have to delete an entire section and then you see your page count drop and your word count drop. It's like, oh man, all that work is gone. But if it's written out, it's like, okay, I've got some stuff to work with. So that's kind of my approach to it. I I typically will only do one draft um, and and that's worked well for me. Not not to say I won't make edits and, and go back, but uh, I, I have really good uh, test readers, uh, my father especially, and, and uh, with my previous publisher, I had a great editor who who gave me some good insight, and um, I think that's the best thing because it's such an an individual activity, but we're really doing it for not only ourselves but for the, all of our potential readers, which are uh, limitless potentially, uh, and so. I like to get some some real time feedback, at least with certain scenes or aspects, um, and and I think that that approach can vary genre to genre. I'm a bit uh, more fortunate in that I have an easier approach because I, I write about you know, the world that we live in, and so I don't have to come up with complicated magic systems or new worlds or, or things that. Um, braver writers than I have to deal with, but that's that's typically my approach: is to write things out by hand and then type it. Definitely, I kind of go back and forth. So I'll write some things physically, and then gather that stuff up, put it into digital, maybe build that out, structure it some more, print that out, and then kind of work again by hand and and I'll do a few cycles of that and let it build up um whether that's using an outline or uh you know not really you know I think either way is fine I do like having it physically in front of me instead of just staring at a screen which when you have it printed out I think it that that tactile sense of what you have presently or at that point in time and to be able to to kind of jump in uh, non-linearly and make notes or make additions or have things that kind of spark you at that point in time is very different than when you're working on a digital platform. That's just my opinion. 
Absolutely. No, I totally agree. Tell us a little bit about your experience with your publisher and, you know, maybe how it started and how it's gone, where it is now. Yeah, absolutely. So it started out uh, really positive. You know, I was I was just so grateful to uh, have have my name in print, and I would have signed anything that they that they stuck in front of me. Um, it, it, it it's not it wasn't a huge huge publisher, um, pretty well known in in the Intermountain West area. Uh, I I live on uh, the West Coast, um, but the the biggest difference for me was that it really set the tone for my character. So I, I write mystery novels and in my first submission, I had my protagonist uh, kill the bad guy. And this particular publisher didn't want um, any gratuitous violence. And so I changed that. I said, okay, you know, like, um, you know, maybe he's a bit like Batman, you know, that's, that's his rule. Like he doesn't want to want to kill people. And so that kind of made it a little bit more challenging just in terms of, you know, I always, I love fighting and, and I've competed in, in uh, a lot of different combat sports and it's like, okay, you know, if you're fighting someone, you incapacitating them and, and making it to the point where they're no longer a threat uh, without killing them is, is typically harder because if you kill a bad guy, then you don't have to worry about him. But if you hit him over the head or tie him up, you know, there's the chance that they can escape or regain consciousness or something like that. So it presented kind of a, a unique challenge for my character. Uh, so that was one of, of the big things. Um, I made a post about this not too long ago, but you know, I really took for granted all the things that they did behind the scenes. And, and I appreciated you know, the, the promotions that they did, um, you know, they came up with the cover design. Um, they, they changed the title from my initial, uh, from my first novel's title. And, and in fact, I think that was an improvement and that's kind of set the tone for my subsequent novel titles. Um, and then just having the editor and it took so much off my plate just in terms of formatting. And so, uh, had a, a bit of a disagreement after my second book, and um, we ended up uh, going our separate ways. It was a little more acrimonious than than I would have liked. I still have some great contacts over there, um, you know, and and I bear them no ill will. Uh, it was just uh, unfortunate um, that the particular climate that we live in is is so uh, set on walking on eggshells. And, you know, you have to fall within a certain mold. And if you color outside the lines or deviate in any regard, uh, then then you're blacklisted, essentially. So, um, you know, say goodbye to my previous publisher, bought my rights back because they, they owned my character, uh, got my remaining inventory back. And then I was given the opportunity to have uh, Navu Supply Company and their publishing wing, 40 Degrees North, uh, picked up my stories and, and is now uh, publishing them. So it's, it's definitely been a journey, but there's a lot more work that I have to do on, on my side in terms of you know, formatting, editing, 
coming up with the cover design, all these things that, that I kind of took for granted. So it's, it was definitely eye opening, and and now I see, you know, how uh, much harder work it is to be an independent and and self publisher uh, without you know having a a bunch of uh, resources behind you like you would with a typical publisher. Completely understandable as someone who does the entire circuit of self publishing in terms of. The writing, the layout, um, audio, reading, um, production, the whole bit. So let's kind of dive into the books that you have out. So currently you have a trilogy, right? Yes. And they are featuring Frank Sawyer. Yes, that's correct. Frank Sawyer, and he goes by Sawyer and... Uh, he is a young man, uh, a returned missionary, and uh, he seems to have a knack for uh, winding up in in uh, precarious situations um, through no fault of his own. But he uh, takes it upon himself to uh, try and and solve problems for for people um, using his wit and his fists. So. Uh, Kind of a, a modern day Western, you know, typically rides into town and then solves a problem and then rides out. And I wanted a, a character, you know, kind of like uh, John D. McDonald's Travis McGee uh, or Lee Child's Jack Reacher. Um, but I, I want him a little bit younger and then a little bit more refined. So, you know, he's not. Uh, you know, there, there's no, um, you know, immorality, there's no sex in my books. There's, there's no profanity, not that those things are, are in and of themselves bad, but just for, for my particular books, uh, I chose not to put that in and, uh, just wanted to make him, you know, if, if these, you know, action heroes, what would it be like if they were a church going man? And I was like, okay, so that, that's kind of how I based it off of. Sure. So things started with Whiteout. Correct. And then progressed to Out by Night. Yes. Now, I don't need you to necessarily give up the whole ghost on these things. That's, we want people to read them, obviously. But maybe give us a little bit of arc um, you know, from a 30,000-foot view so we can get to where he is with your newest release. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I really like the way you asked that. So uh, Whiteout starts just after he's, he's returned home from two years uh, as a missionary. And uh, as a missionary, you know, he was overseas. He hadn't been able to drive a car or go on a date or even watch a movie in two years. And so he just wants to take full advantage of the United States of America, the country that he deeply missed and now values so much. So the first book sees him uh, in the middle of winter uh, in a small town in Montana, and he's got to to solve a problem. And after he does that, uh, with some alacrity, he... uh, 
leaves town and and that brings us to out by night and he's now in southern california and he's looking up an old mission buddy and uh, he ends up stumbling upon a conspiracy uh, that's led to a number of of uh, missing children and that takes him from california to mexico and back and uh, he has some some good adventures there. And then uh, my latest installment uh, is Without a Shadow. And this one really sees Sawyer in kind of a new world. And that uh, he's as close as he ever has been to the sort of mysticism that has started to crop up in Out by Night uh, in the form of revelatory dreams, um, impressions. Uh, you know, you'd say it's just instinct or God or, or uh, any other sort of influence. And this book actually really illustrates why he needs to move on and what happens when he doesn't. And... Uh, it, I'm really happy with this particular story, um, just because it's, it's probably Sawyer's biggest challenge to date. And, uh, this story actually gave me the opportunity to, um, incorporate a lot of the things that I love in a story because it seems like so many of the stories we read and, and not, not that it's a bad thing, but take place in a busy city or there's, you know, cars and cell phones and, uh, you know, police that can be called or lights that can be turned on, uh, or cars that can be driven. And this is strictly in the wilderness and there are no phone lines. There is no electricity. There's, there's no backup. And, uh, that's, that's what we see in, in without a shadow. Very interesting. So, could people be dropped into the most recent book without having read the other pieces or is it basically, um, you know, m- more linear in its episodic nature to where you really need that earlier material to understand what's happening in the new setting? That's a really good question. I, now when I started out, I wanted each installment to be a standalone. So you could pick up any book at any time and just get right into the story. I think you potentially could start with without a shadow, but I had uh, mo- mostly um, female complaints about how the first book ends, and so I changed it with the second one last minute to to actually have uh, Sawyer stay in one place, and so he's still you know, uh, in the same place. In the, from the second book to the third. And so the second book in particular is important to the third. Um, but between the first and the second, White Out and Out by Night, you could read those out of order. And from, from now on, they'll be more standalone and episodic. Uh, but in this case, it's, it's really important to read Out by Night before Without a Shadow just to get the full experience. Now I've read book series and, and read later in the series and then come back 
and read the previous installment and said, oh, that's kind of cool, and then revisited it. So it just depends, I think. I I don't think anyone is, is going to uh, miss out on the adventure if they start with Without a Shadow. Um, but there's you can see the whole picture uh, if you if you read uh, Out by Night before. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's there's a continuation happening there. Where are you going next? I know you just released this one, but the thinking is here that you've got a character, you've been developing it for a number of years. Assuming, you know, that he lives, are we going to be able to expect more from Sawyer in the future? That is a great question. Um, and, and the answer is yes, we'll definitely see more Frank Sawyer. Um, I, I think this ending is, is going to be hard for some people because it, it, it really is. Yeah. And it's not even the way like that I would want to end it, but it's the way it, it had to end. I, I feel like creating these characters, they, you know, they're telling me the story. They're doing what, what has to be done, uh, regardless of, you know, what, what I want for them. So we, we will see Sawyer move on and, uh, we're going to to see him in new environs, uh, new friends, new enemies, and um, yeah, I'm I'm excited about this this next one. So each each book has kind of had a you know an overarching theme, um, or I sh- should say motif. So in Whiteout, it's the snow. He's constantly dealing with snow. In Out by Night, it's rain, um, and he's in a very rainy place in without a shadow uh, he's dealing a lot with darkness um, you know actual darkness and and spiritual darkness as well and in the fourth book we'll see him uh, dealing with uh, a lot of heat so I, I won't I won't give away where in America uh, is Frank Sawyer but but he'll be in in some place quite quite toasty. I like the thematic nature that you are exploring with that. That's very cool. Are you writing other material or are you basically, you know, investing hard into Sawyer and, and seeing how far you can go with that? Yeah, that's a good question. I've, I've played around with a couple different things. I, I've submitted a, a couple short stories to uh, the passage prize, for example. Um, one that I was particularly pleased with was a short story that I've since published on, on Substack, uh, that was, um, a sort of, uh, different version of, of Medusa and, and really this, uh, this character named Athos who, who endeavors to find Medusa. Um, and I was, I was happy with that short story. I do have plans to, to branch out eventually. I've got, um, a lot of, of ideas, percolating but i i really want to give sawyer his due and i'd like to uh get a a pretty good lineup of of sawyer stories before i really delve into anything else and just because i i think my own resources are are limited and um it usually takes me about a year to to get a sawyer story uh in good shape and so if i'm writing a Sawyer story every other year, if I'm doing a different project, I, I just don't think I'm, I'm giving him, uh, his due. So I'll, I'll definitely have some more Sawyer stories, 
I've got a, a lot of, of different ideas. And the cool thing about him is he's a character. He can go anywhere. He can do anything. And it's not like he has to uh, resolve a bunch of things before he can, you know, Pat, he doesn't have to put in two weeks notice. He doesn't, he doesn't have a job, you know, he doesn't have, uh, you know, a wife or children. He doesn't have, um, you know, a mortgage. He doesn't have a car payment. He doesn't have anything tying him down. And so that's a fun character that I'd like to explore at least for a little while longer. Sure. He becomes a vehicle for you to be able to insert all these different types of stories that you might imagine or might kind of, um, use other settings and other characters for, but you don't necessarily need to do that. You can just keep turning it back over to Sawyer. Exactly. I like it. I see you have some audio books. Did you do the readings or did someone else do the readings? A great question. So I, I was fortunate enough to have a really great uh, voice actor, uh, Jason Tatum. He read the first two uh, and he was hired by my previous publisher. And uh, I'm trying to figure out the the mechanics to to do an audio version for Without a Shadow. I've got some great friends that, that I think would, would read it for me. Um, I've also been getting a lot of encouragement to do the reading myself. And, and I think I might do that. I've always appreciated when authors have, have read their own work. And I think that they're just able to get the right intonation uh, and inflection because um, they know exactly what they were trying to say right. and how they're trying to say it um, even more than, than a particularly good, even a, a great uh, voice actor can do. So I, I think I'll end up doing it myself. I think you should. I would I would uh add my endorsement to that list. I think that when I listen to audiobooks and I hear the author reading them, for the most part I think they're very good. You know, there's a few times when maybe somebody's not necessarily comfortable on the microphone, but in general I would say it it is very good. But then there are some other times uh there's a series of of Dune audiobooks that are multi-voiced, at least for the few that I've heard, uh, and that production is very good. They add in a little bit of music and some sound effects here and there, and it really kind of brings that to life because, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with that, but it's something that I'm familiar with kind of growing up, and now mm-hmm. we're seeing these turned into the new set of movies, so more and more people are familiar with them, but to hear it in audio form, multi-voice that way. I think that is, uh, you know, an exceptional example. Doesn't always need to to be done in in that kind of manner. But getting back to the author reading the material, yeah, hundred um, percent. They're just more familiar with it. And even if you get a great reader, they are not necessarily invested into some of the nuance of the lines and the arcs the way that the author would be. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my thought process. And, and I love a good audiobook. and, and I like when there are, you know, books that are so well established that, that have different readers and you can kind of, you know, pick and choose. It's like, Oh, I really like the way this author reads it and not this one or the, or this uh, actor reads it. Yeah. So no, that's really cool. I didn't realize that there was a, a multi-voice production of some of the Dune books. That's cool. Yeah, I, I, li- I like that idea with some sound effects and some music and 
I think that's pretty cool. Brian Jakes, when I was a kid, he so he wrote the Redwall series, and they've made audiobooks and they have a full cast and they have uh, music and and everything. So those are are really well done. That's the direction that I'm trying to go with the fiction that I'm doing because, uh, you know, I don't think it's strong enough for me to just read on its own. So I I kind of build it out into a little bit more of a soundscape. And, you know, they're, they're short. So in that way, giving a little bit more depth and a little bit more atmosphere, I think, hopefully makes it a little bit richer for the listener. Uh, the stuff I'm working on, you know, I don't have a novel in me at this point. Maybe in the future I will, but for now, just kind of trying to stretch out into short story fiction is enough of an exercise for me. It's, it's, it's a lot of work for me to, to produce in general, but back to what you're doing, are there other things that we haven't addressed or things that we should know about that you want people to, to hear? Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is such an amazing podcast. I'm so honored to be here. I do have my own podcast, uh, as well. Ironside, the Ironside podcast, Ironside one word and had, you know, a, a lot of our, our mutual friends on there as well. And, and we talk about everything from fighting and fatherhood to, uh, writing and, and weightlifting. Um, and so that that's been a lot of fun and, and just having these kinds of conversations are so valuable and it's, it's fun to listen to you know, other people. I, I had a, uh, a creative writing exercise in college that my teacher had us do and it was to just go somewhere whether it was you know uh, uh you know a train station or a restaurant or a gymnasium or just any any public place and just sit there and write down the conversation uh, and obviously you wouldn't know the speaker's names but you know just giving them a letter or a nickname and to to bring that back and it was it was it was kind of fun you know i felt bad eavesdropping but i i wrote mine down from a restaurant and uh, we ended up voting on on the best conversation that was overheard and and mine won and it wasn't anything that i had written or come up with it was just what these these people had said that i had recorded and so it was uh it kind of reminds me of of this that you and i get to have a conversation and and people that we like to listen to or people that we ad- admire have these conversations and, and we get to, to listen in. And I think it's, it's a really interesting phenomenon and how popular podcasts have, have becoming. But um, yeah, that, that's my, my other pursuit. Excellent. Love it. I've been podcasting on and off for a long time. I actually started about 10 years ago. None of that stuff's available, but uh, anymore, but kind of got back into it as a result of hosting group chats, which I was broadcasting on Twitter and then decided to make some of that material available after the fact. And then as I was kind of just allowing that to exist, uh, stopped doing the group chats, but then, you know, found myself wanting to have conversations, more intimate conversations, interview style like this with people that I know that are releasing projects or promoting work and things like that. And 
you know, find it to be, you know, educational, but also a, a good opportunity to, to help put some eyeballs on, on what people are doing. Absolutely. And you're doing such a good job at it too. Well, Hey Brett, thanks for taking the time to talk with me. I do appreciate you this afternoon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yes. And, and to anyone listening, please pick up a copy of, of out by night, uh, and white out and definitely without a shadow. Uh, you can find them on Amazon or if you'd like a signed copy, you can go through Navu supply company and, and, uh, uh, you'll get a personally autographed copy from me.